Hi, this is Jerry Conway. Tom DeFalco. Ron Friends. Paul Jenkins. J.M. DeMatteis. Robert Rodriguez. Jim Salakrep. Danny Fingeroth. Dennis Hopeless. Joshua Hale-Fialgoff. John Semper Jr. Glenn Ween. David Michelini. And you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Kavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Giannacchio. I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Thanks everybody for joining us. We've been gone for a little bit and we're back now with a special essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> for this episode, we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic, uh, which is going to be Dan's pick, The Lost Years miniseries, written by J.M. Demetrius uh, and Tom DeFalco, with pencils by Liam Sharp and John Ramita Jr., uh, and then we're going to finish out the show with a fresh round of Swarm's B-title reviews, Dan, gird your loins. <laughs> well, you know, Mark, before we get into the show, there's a number of topics I wanted to discuss with you. And the first one is a big piece of news on your end. Now, we've been teasing this for months, that you've had some big thing that was dominating your time, and you weren't writing on on, on the uh, site for a while. And, and you know, eagle-eyed readers of our site will notice that you popped up with one of your Christmas lost gems this week. And and uh, so I guess, I guess now you can finally say what it is you've been working on. Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you've been so absent from everything? <laughs> Well, Dan, I just really wanted to have really special lost gems this year. So I, I, <laughs> you've been really working on those, <laughs> and they're holiday lost gems. We want to, I want to, I want to remain as PC as possible, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get to a future topic in a few minutes. Um, no, so Dan, yeah, um, over the summer, I I was uh, contacted by uh, a publisher um, who is familiar with. Um, our show and with Chasing Amazing and with uh, SuperiorSpireTalk.com and uh, this publisher, it's Triumph, uh, Triumph Books, and they do a series of books called the 100 Things series. And um, it actually started as a sports series, like 100 Things uh, Every fan of a team of a certain team should know and love about their team uh but over the past couple years they've expanded into pop culture and they've had a hundred things every avengers fan should know and do before they die and a hundred things every star wars fan etc etc well i uh i have written i have submitted the first draft for 100 things every spider-man fan should know and do before they die so uh we're going to basically uh, it's going to feature a lot of the content that 
listeners of the show uh, might have heard in some of our um, creator interviews, plus some additional interviews I, I did in the, um, on the side, plus just other little research and factoids. And it's going to be a hundred different things about Spider-Man, like key stories and creators and characters and and things to do related to Spider-Man. Um, there might even be a plug for our show in the book. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, we, are, we are shameless self-promoters. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and it was kind of a, a bit of an undertaking because I, I really only had a few months to plow out a, a you know multiple hundreds of pages of a book um but uh it's like i said the first draft has been submitted it's now being reviewed and um the expectation is that it'll be out sometime early in the summer in time for spider-man homecoming's uh theatrical uh release uh in in the summer so well i um, i just want to say congratulations mark because i mean that's uh, when we found out about this this is so exciting uh, but like that you like, you know, your busy life, this show and all the stuff you do, we're able to kind of like put your head down and knock this out is, you know, you did a literary marathon here. Yeah, it was a little crazy, but and then we, next we week it. you're running a half marathon, so yeah, you're, well, you're yeah. on it. <laughs> That's true, and, and 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 that I I still managed to keep running too for real. But anyway, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and we'll be talking a ton about the book as we get closer to the to the release. But um, you know, in the meantime, I think you could pre-order it through Amazon. I don't know um, if if. There are any other sites, and and yeah, when when there's more official details about where and how to buy it, and I'll probably do some appearances at cons uh, in the Northeast here uh, to promote the book and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun, guys. Uh, so uh, thanks for bearing with me. Uh, like Dan said, my, I had a lost gem up on the website, so I'm back on the site. I might even be reviewing new books again because um, I had the time again. But in the meantime, uh, this was a lot of fun to write. Um, and now, Dan, you have some news that's related to both your personal life and to the show. So why don't you, you get into that? Yeah, well, I mean, first about your book. Like if you go to our website, by the time this podcast release, you'll see a link on the right-hand side to pre-order Mark's book. So go there, check it out. I've seen the outline. There's a lot of things that you are going to get, like including some interesting Steve Ditko stuff. Uh, so uh, go and pre-order the book. Okay, so about me, um, I finally got a job. So you know, people can <laughs> can stop uh, hurling uh, insults at me, like go get a job, you. Yeah, hippie. Whatever. Yeah, hippie. Yeah, exactly. So I have a job. I'm now a editor um, at a comic book company, which. I can't believe I, I get to say um, cool. I, I'm an editor for a company called Emmett Comics. And, um, well, the, the thing about that is it's com- going to completely change our, our schedules. Now, I used to be a high school teacher, and, uh, and I could record with Mark on weeknights. But that's not going to be possible anymore with my commute and the difference of time. So instead of recording on Thursday nights like we normally do, we're going to be recording on Sunday nights, which means – don't expect the podcast on Friday mornings anymore. You're going to get it on Monday mornings, late Sunday nights. So that's the big change for the podcast. Um, you're just going to have to wait a little longer uh, for, for, the, for the content. Not that'll a big settle deal. In, 
but we'll settle in soon enough. And Dan, obviously, congratulations to you as well. I know that this uh, job hunt for you was was a a kind of hair raising experience, but it seems like you landed at a very good spot. And you know, you're in comics now. You can say that with with full confidence, um, and and without any qualifications. So that's 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 awesome. So well, congratulations. Even better. On. I'm at a comic book company that's about promoting diversity in comics, which has been a real, you know, like point for me. Uh, we, we all, most of our creators, not all of our creators are women who are writing books about female protagonists. And that's, I mean, I don't even know if that exists anywhere in comics. So I'm really proud to be at a company that is pushing forward with that. So if you want to check out some of our products, Emmett comics, I think you're going to really dig it. We have a lot of really cool books. So, yeah, I, I'm excited about it. Thank you, Mark. Uh, it means a lot to me to not only have a paycheck, but to be doing exactly the thing that I wanted to do. Keep after your dreams, everybody. It will, it will happen. It will happen if you work hard enough. Uh, but, yeah, very exciting. Uh, and, and Dan, what's, what's the last thing that we want? Is it the last thing? Am I, am I, I mean, there, I think we're going to just keep going through this. So there's a, lo- there's a lot of things to talk about. So I guess first let's talk about uh, – you know, current events uh, mm-hmm. in the world of comics, in the world of art, in just the world in general. Now, Mark and I have done a pretty good job, I guess, except for a few instances up till now, kind of keeping our personal politics like – I mean I think you could probably tell how we feel about about things if you really pay attention. But we've kind of kept our personal politics out of the show. Um, is that fair to say, Mark? I, I would think so. I mean – you know, if it, if if it if it seeped its way in, it was done in subtle, uh, satirical fashion. Yes, exactly. Very tongue in cheek. But um, I mean, I think we're going to try to keep it that way. But I I, I wanted to just say that like uh, art doesn't exist in a vacuum, and the same is true of art criticism, which is what. You know, I, I don't want to say it, it sounds a little lofty when we say we are art critics, but I mean essentially <laughs> that's what we're doing uh, here week after week. And I, I don't think that there's a way to do criticism without not necessarily making it political, but like everybody is made of influences, and that's what backs our opinions. And I don't think we're going to be able to like give our opinions if we are avoiding talking politics in some regard. Does that sound fair? I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, you know, the, you know, cause I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, with in, in an effort not to tiptoe, uh, tiptoe around things with the, with the recent events from the November election. I mean, you know, if you follow any of these Marvel creators that we talk about with some frequency on, on the show, um, you know, they, they, they certainly have some very polarizing opinions about what happened in November and what's about to happen in January with the inauguration of, of Donald Trump. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't I, I think it would be naive to say or, or to believe that those creator beliefs are not going to seep into the comics that they create in one way or another. And we're going to have to talk about that. And, you know, we have opinions too on these things and, you know, we, we, we want to keep it, you know, we want to keep this as a safe of a space as possible. I mean, you know, we, we don't want people to think that if they disagree with us, that their views are under attack or that they're being belittled. But 
Um, you know, I think we also just need to have a very open and candid conversation about where everyone is coming from here. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so if you disagree with us, great. We're going to respect that if you're respectful. And so far, I would say, I mean, everybody has been respectful. We've not received any complaints or anything, but we wanted to kind of get this out there because we are two people that believe very strongly in our own viewpoints. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't really be broadcasting them. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, that might come through at times, but, you know, don't. I, we hope that that doesn't turn people off from the show. Yeah, and just just again to kind of be clear here, we're we're, we're not saying that you know this show has suddenly become you know the New York Times political podcast here. You know what I mean? Like it's this is still <laughs> amazing Spider Talk. We're still talking Spider Man comics, but you know there when, when when appropriate, there are just going to be things and, that that are going to apply that you know that. Where we're going to have to kind of cross this terrain, um, you know, it's it's just undeniable about the fact that you know the, this this most recent election um, is historic on a lot of levels, and I think the kind of response from the art community is going to be historic in kind. And um, you know, like I said, we just can't be you know, it's not worth being naive about that um, if. You're going to be naive about that. I, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and now to launch into us officially saying that and then tipping the scale. So we're going to be doing a charity drive for the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, um, which is an American nonprofit legal advocacy organization that specializes in civil rights and public interest litigation. So they're going to be supportive of people's civil rights throughout the country when they feel like they're under attack. And it's, it's a really good cause that, that, um, that I think um, is worthy of donations. And we're doing this uh, through a much, uh, I guess, a, a, a very late uh, addition to our store. Um, at, if you go on superiorspidertalk.com and you look on the right-hand side, we have our very first uh, Donald the Inner Demon t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> if people remember the D-list character – D-list might be even uh, <laughs> too much for, for Donald the Inner Demon. Um, but he was a character from the Spiral miniseries that we made jokes about, and I had artwork commissioned – so you're you're gonna get a Donald the Inner Demon T-shirt, and this is gonna be a tea public thing. So for the next 30 days, if you go to our site and buy a Donald the Inner Demon T-shirt, all of the profits from that are gonna go to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, I will keep reminding you about it, but um, it's kind of a fun way to get something and give something to charity. And uh, I hope you guys all have a laugh about Donald the Inner Demon. Yes, which I think you even asked Jerry Conway about when we had him on the show back. Um, I, I did. I can't out. remember what he said. I think it was a surprise to even him. Yeah, I think he was kind of like, huh, if you say so. I mean, I, th- I think he gave like a non-answer like, if you want to believe that, you can. But <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. It's all in good fun. And, you know, if you buy a shirt, everything's going to go to a great charity. Uh, well, Mark, I guess this is a lot of deliberation before we got into the show. 
Um, yeah, well, you know, we're 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 about to talk about the the where the clone was for like five years, so we might as well like you know keep the build up going since you know that kind of reflects what happened to Ben Riley on the, on that on that lost journey from a smokestack, you know? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, uh, so let's get into it. Our discussion of Spider-Man: The Lost Years. All right, Dan. Well, well, Lost Years is is your pick. Uh, I I do adore this story, but um, why do you find it not just a good story, but an essential one? Yeah, this is this is a tough pick to come by. I wanted to choose something from the Clone Saga. And, you know, there's there's only so many stories from the Clone Saga that you can choose that kind of stand on their own as a, as an individual story. Uh, I think Revelations is probably the most obvious one, but we had talked about that before. And you had your Clone Saga story, uh, Web of Death. Um, and it only felt natural that this would be the next choice. Uh, and it's, it's funny because I think The Lost Years is kind of a, an overlooked – underread story would you agree like i don't know many people that talk about this story um i agree so much with you dan that it was in my lost gem series in 2015 so there, uh, there on superior spider talk so which is you know the essence of that series are those underread st- books but yeah so yeah agreed <laughs> yeah so like if you haven't read this story you know like boot up your it was recently added to marvel unlimited in the past several months Go check it out, Spider-Man: The Lost Years. But um, uh, the essential, like I guess, uh, element of this story is it is the story that reveals what happened to Ben when he woke up in the smokestack and and first started out on his own as his own person um, and and came up with the name Ben Riley. Um, and, you know, we, we get that whole journey starting in issue zero, which is kind of a collection of backstories that details his run in with a jackal and an escape from New York um, to this story um, with him on the run, kind of establishing his own identity and Kane as well. Um, and so it's kind of a formative story for that character and also for Kane. In fact, this is the first story where. The mark of Cain, you know, first appears, and and we learn about Cain's cellular degeneration. Um, maybe maybe not in the chrono- chronology of Spider-Man, but like this is like in canon the first appearance of the mark of Cain. So it's kind of you know like a, a big deal on 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 that regard. But um, for me, what makes this essential? or what I think makes it worthy of consideration for being essential is that to me, this story is kind of like a great tease or a great example of like what I think the the possibility of the clone saga could have been and probably should have been. It very quickly makes the Ben Riley character that into something really interesting and really intriguing in a way that I think if this was what the clone saga was about, 
like or a lot of the clone saga was devoted to this, I don't think audiences would have been so quick to reject the idea that Peter Parker that we've been reading about was the fake was like a clone. Do, do you think that's true, Mark? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, we we. You were tweeting about this on uh, earlier today, just kind of promoting that we were doing the show, and uh, Jan Demetrius responded uh, with a couple things that we'll, we'll talk about. But like, you know, one of the things that he did mention too was that like, you know, one of the original plans, and you know, it's funny every time we talk to someone who was involved with the Clone Saga, we hear more about original plans that never happened. Um, was that there would be more of these. Um, Kind of additional lost stories of Ben Riley uh, as as additional minis, and and you know at the end of the day, I still wonder if that would have probably been the more prudent um, approach to this to the story. I mean, I know that when we had Terry Kavanaugh and Howard Mackey on, um, you know, they both mentioned how you know kind of the goal of the Clone Saga was to get Peter out of the picture. Uh, because of the baggage from being married and then having a kid and all that. Um, but the way this story is framed, I, I, I like you, you, it does. It's like, I think everything about this character and, and this premise would work better. I think if maybe we just kind of like, I don't know, treated it with the, the gravitas that that this series has to it and 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 try you know instead of trying to be gimmicky about it like who's real and who's not and blah 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 just told a story about these characters that was compelling and and gave them some depth and uh, and explained why they were the way they were i mean i think this was the right approach to it i i agree with you but like i can't help but think about like when they finally made the switch of that ben riley is going to be the new character and we got introduced to the bar that he works at and that supporting cast there that lasted like 10 issues, you know, and like you never cared about any of them. But this story really makes you care about its characters, um, namely Ben and Kane um, and, and the world that they occupy. And I think it's because – I mean first of all, I think it's because J.M. DeMatteis wrote it and uh, you know, outside of like – you know. Uh, Craven's Last Hunt. I think this is one of his more like poetic and elegant and truly haunting stories that he's ever written um, as like a complete story. Um, the prose in this is remarkable, and I, I think deserves to be spoken. It's in the problem. It's not as good as Craven's Last Hunt, but I think it's not too far short from that. Um, yeah, I mean, this is. I, I would probably. You know, when we, when you talk about the big J.M. Demetrius stories and, and you know, as far as his character studies specifically, you know, I would put Craven's Last Hunt, then I would maybe put the Harry Osborne saga from Spectacular, yeah. and then I would then I would put this probably third in in terms of quality and 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 just my overall opinion of it. Um, it's it's. It's a great story, you know. the The funny thing is, though, and uh, am I am I good to yeah give go for some, it go some for points it, yeah. here? I I don't want to like step on your your intro or anything. Uh, but, no, no, no. Um, we we've gotten past that now. Let's get into the conversation. Yeah, you know. And I even asked JMD about this uh, while writing my book. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, 
And, and, and Get he, used and to kinda, that, people. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, and he kind of <laughs> like not deflected it, but was like, well, you know, if 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 there were similarities, it was kind of unintentional. But like, you know, reading Lost Years in tandem with the um, the Frank Miller, John Ramita Jr. Man Without Fear miniseries, which kind of told Daredevil's um, origins, like or retold his origins. Um, and anyone who watched Daredevil on Netflix, the first season, like borrow it, that show borrowed very heavily from that series. Um, just the both the vi- the visual style because of JRJR and like this was like peak JRJR in my opinion. Um, I mean, as good as he was in um, with with J. Michael Straczynski in the early two thousands, I kind of think this like early mid nineties Ramita is just like so like raw and dynamic. Um, you can't so, miss so, it. I mean, it is yeah. the most John Ramita Jr. Art, artwork ever made. Yeah. Um, but like, th- like basically last years, I felt really visually and tonally and even like this, the structure and the narrative of it echoes man without fear so much. Like, like, you know, it almost feels like, you know, daredevil with people with spider powers and, and you know, down to like, the, the crime elements and, and the detective stories and, you know, it's it's this very raw, gritty world that we're not used to seeing in Spider-Man. And, and, and not people that try that's to in, commit suicide and things like that. Yeah. And like people are like, you know, children are in harm's way and are getting murdered and stuff like that. I mean, it's really dark and, and grim. And, 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 you know, I always say gritty with dark, but but it's 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 Frank, it's very Frank Miller ish. Um, and you know, like I said, uh, JMD kind of said, well, you know, like man without fear was such a seminal story of the nineties. Um, it just kind of is the way it is. But even, even the fact that like the, the, the comics like were, were packaged the same way with like the same kind of like chromium covers and stuff like that. I mean, it's like <laughs> really, really similar. Um, and, and not that, that, that for me, it disqualifies it as an essential, but like I think that needs to be raised kind of in the same way and, and not, you know, spoiler alert, this story doesn't show up in our essential list. But like the death of Gene to Wolf is so different from any other Spider-Man story that it, 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 it kind of to me, when you talk about stories that give you an understanding of the character in its universe it gives me pause because it is so widely different so what's your take on that well i agree with you and i think that's to me at least that's somewhat the appeal of inventing a character like ben riley and the appeal of getting spider-man out of his comfort zone in new york city but i think what saves this book uh and i agree with you there it does give me some hesitation but what saves this book is that it is still about the legacy of Spider-Man, about responsibility. Like the beginning of the book starts with Kane, or not Kane, Ben, kind of like denouncing his role as Spider-Man. He's not going to save anybody. He's not going to help anyone. He's out only for himself, and he's going to restructure himself in that way. But very quickly, he can't deny his his history, whether it's real, whether it's fake. And he can't deny his urges to be the hero. And this book is kind of about him reclaiming his role as Spider-Man, as a hero, in whatever form that takes. Whether he's on a motorcycle or he's 
saving people in you know truck stops. I, I, I often refer to the story as truck stop Spider-Man. Uh, and it also reminds me of the first like uh, Venom lethal protector issue where he's kind of like fighting bullies at a truck stop. Um, but uh, I think the fact that the legacy and, and the responsibility element plays such a, a, like a pivotal role in this series uh, makes it akin to like a, a Spider-Man no more story, but taken to like a whole other d- degree. And, and that's what I think keeps it in the realm of Spider-Man for me. Yeah, this is like the the upside down version of Spider-Man No More. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't even think there's a Spider-Man costume in this entire book. Uh, no, I don't. No, definitely. Uh, no, definitely yeah. not. Um, but um, you know, it, it, I mean, just it's just in terms of narrative. I mean, like some of the things that I do, I, I do kind of give this book some demerits for. Like, there's. There are these love story elements that I kind of feel are are unearned. Like it kind of just, to me distracts from the um, the more meaty character stuff. I mean, because uh, 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 you know, I, I I did reread this, but I, I I reread this a few weeks ago when we were originally going to maybe talk about it. So now it's not as fresh in my mind. <laughs> but um, they they both had um significant others in right. this book, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's like you know. And like, I felt like both got built up so high for for the inevitable tragedy that befell them both. Um, but like, I don't know. Like, I I I don't know if this comic really needed a love story. I mean, maybe that gave it some levity. But I don't know. What do you what do you, what do you, do you have any thoughts on that, or or am I just? I think one of the love stories works better than the other one. I think the like Ben and I think her name is Janine. Uh, love story kind of comes out of nowhere and, and she kind of addresses that. Like she, he comes on to her very quickly and she kind of goes on a date with him and then is like, I don't want to get involved with you because I'm involved in some other stuff and I don't want to drag you into it. And inevitably he gets dragged, dragged into it. Kane has this kind of like really intense, passionate fling with this woman, um, that like, I think gets ratcheted up really quickly, but it has a nice payoff. She gets kind of like refrigerated, uh, or, or a woman in the fridge, uh, right. and it spawns the kind of like birth of the mark of Cain. And I found that really satisfying, you know, at least on the kind of like a visual level. Um, both are a little like given a little short shrift. I agree, and I think that's true of almost like the the A story in this book is almost. The A story is very secondary to the really great character writing in this book. Um, the whole like detectives and drugs and and subterfuge and femme fatale stuff. It's interesting, but it doesn't. It's not great in the way that the character writing is great. Do you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, that's the yeah. It's it's like it goes back to what I was saying in terms of like what kind of story is this ultimately? It's like you know. Like I feel like they too many elements from from the non Spider Man kind of bread and butter mythos was borrowed um, in 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 terms of the actual plot, um, but the character characterization and how these characters are built and fleshed out um, is so true to J M. Demetrius and what he did 
during his work on Spider-Man. So it's like it it, it, it it does kind of feel like a clash, but at the same token, there is a there is a truth to it that makes it feel like like a very well crafted Spider-Man story. It's just miss you know, like the, the the actual narrative is is a little weak in my opinion. Like it it just you know like it it it, it doesn't feel all connected in that way where and that, and that and again like that's where it's kind of like you know maybe if these were just kind of like these offshoot tales and this was almost create like like a separate universe uh over time during the clone saga we were getting these little lost years minis and stuff like that it would feel more um synchronized but because this is kind of just a one shot it really does kind of stick out in its own weird way from everything else that was came out during this time you almost wish that the Scarlet Spider series that was launched several years ago was about this story, you know. Yeah, uh, they're kind of a, you know akin to each other in, in a number of ways in terms of like, you know, like the kind of uh, like Ben in this story. His big thing is dealing with kind of like his anger over his like imposter syndrome feelings. Like he he knows he's like a fake. You know, and and he gets really angry about it. Um, I love there's a scene in the bar where he's like lashing out at everyone. And one of my favorite lines in the whole book is where he laments uh, that, like, why did they have to clone me from a man who doesn't drink? Which, <laughs> Drunk Pete. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Which I think is a great line. And and he does get very violent. And I, I, I think it's really interesting to get in the head of like kind of. Everybody has gone through moments of imposter syndrome, but what does that mean for you where you're literally a clone of someone that's, you know, held up to be a superhero, you know, like what does it mean to kind of like forego that legacy and, you know, craft your own persona and and can you craft your own persona separate from that? Um, I mean, with this book, really, most of it is just spent in Ben's head. Even when we're in these great fight, you know, fight and rescue sequences, my favorite being the um, uh, Ben saving a, a bus from crashing. I think it's really fun to read. Um, right, right. Well, yeah, no, I, I there's there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of the familiar there, but but when you actually just like describe the plot and the the sub the sub characters and and. Um, it seems kind of odd, but yeah, you, you, I also like your point about if that Scarlet Spider series was more akin to this, I think it probably would have been a stronger series. But that that it started out that way, and then it got weird fast. And then we had, <laughs> I mean, it did. It, it really did start off exactly like this, even the like, the catching the bus out of town stuff, you know. Uh, but oh, I guess he flew out of town. Um, but like he established himself within like a new group of characters. You almost wish that you know, like there were, like you said, more miniseries like this to kind of build out this cast a bit more and, and make us care about them over the long run. What do you think about Kane's representation in this? Because he has a lot of big moments in this story, and and the way he's drawn is just like freakish. It, it is it is something else. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, this is probably, I I would say, the best Kane story we have. Um, I I mean, Kane Kane is such an interesting character, and 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 you could just tell, not even just from this story, but but uh, you know, in talking with Howard and Terry, and 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 going back through some of these other Clone Saga stories, uh, that. 
you got to think that that the the creators that worked on the Clone Saga they 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 all adored Kane. They all wanted to work with Kane. They yeah, wanted right. to tell they all wanted to tell these Kane stories, you know. And and it's funny because he wasn't even originally a part of the, the Clone Saga. Like that he was a, like a, an eleventh hour addition in you know in an effort to stretch things out more. Um, and it's probably he's probably even more so than Ben, in my opinion, the most. He's the legacy of the Clone Saga in today's Spider-Man. I mean, would you argue that? No, I, 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 no argument at all. I mean, he's a character that's been reborn four times because there is a love. Yeah, for the character. It's, it, ben doesn't even get reborn once. Yeah, unless he's the man in red. Uh oh. <laughs> but seriously, like you know, we, the, 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 for various reasons. I mean, some of it was apparently Stephen Wacker, the former editor of Amazing. Um, was uh, had a mandate that no one could revive Ben Riley because people tried um, during like Brand New Day and and, and whatnot. But um, beyond that, Kane has always been the one that 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 Marvel has come back to. I mean, and I think it's because he's just such a rich character, and and a lot of that, you know, yeah, it was a lot of that was established even even in like Trial of Peter Parker, Maximum Clonage, which were kind of dogs for stories uh, in the regular clone saga as it was being published week to week, there were, there were good fun cane elements in there, but this is where they really get into it. And like you, you know, between just explaining the origins of the market cane, but just, just why he was such this kind of, I mean, he's a Frankenstein basically. I mean, he's, he's, or, or sorry, Frankenstein's the doctor, but he's the monster from Frankenstein, you know, like he is this, this, thing that was created and rejected um but underneath the 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 scars and and the abuse and the hatred is is this very compelling character and 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 jan demetrius just gets it and and ramita just gets it i mean my god even, even the letterer gets it because the lettering for his thoughts is like this kind of like twisted deformed writing that like is really fun to read and you don't often see Letters playing with that kind of scratchiness in in today's comics or even today's representation of Kane, although she, he's healed. So, uh, but like this book, it just like it, 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 you know, if you could touch it, it would probably bite you. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, like like if it was like a real thing, it, it is the monster book of monsters from Harry Potter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got some serious grit, like you said, like man, like man of fear. Um, you know, it, it is a very unique, it exists in a very unique place in the Spider-Man history and one worthy of, of, I think, bringing up in discussion and, and worth reading. So I don't have much more to add about this book. Um, people go check it out and if you haven't already or revisit it, uh, I think it's one that deserves to be read, especially if you like Ken, Kane and Ben Riley. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, again, my, my I, I guess my last counter is, you know, in terms of picking essential stories uh, as as essential as the Clone Saga is, um, the fact that um, the story doesn't really deal with Peter at all outside of the fact that we're looking at his clones. I mean, does that does that take points away from it, you know, in terms of its overall impact and legacy on, on Spider-Man. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it, how much it depends on how much you weigh 
Ben and Kane's role in the myth, larger mythos of, of Spider-Man. If you, I mean, clearly we're revisiting them right now. Uh, maybe we're revisiting Ben. We don't know. Uh, but like the Clone Saga, you know, it's clearly a favorite or, or are regarded as a key part of the mythos at this point. Um, so I guess kind of the origin stories of these characters, you know, I, I would consider this book that to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, so that's it's certainly it's certainly better than the Gabriel Stacy lost years. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll leave it up to the listeners to decide. We'd love to hear your feedback on this. We already heard from a couple people saying that they really liked this book. So um, and JMD himself, who who said it was a really fun time to work on, on the book. So. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. He frequently calls this one of his favorites. So and and you could tell. It's written with love. Absolutely. Love for deformed creatures. <laughs> there you go. There you go. S-W-A-R-M. S-W-A-R-M. A reanimated Nazi skeleton. A reanimated Nazi skeleton. Reviewing B-titles while he's covered in bees. Reviewing B-titles while he's covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for Hello, true believers. You have made change to reform it, but you have no legal recourse to remove me. Swarm from your show since I was elected in a landslide by your listeners. In fact, the only reason things were so close between Deb Whitman and I is because I heard the liberal PC crowds illegally casting multiple online votes just to get the woman on the show. Yeah, yeah, Swarm. It's all a fix. It's all rigged, even though you won. What put a bee in your bonnet? A bee in your bonnet? How dare you speak to your co-host like that? This is the kind of one-sided banter that is very unfair. Sad. Untrue. Whoa, 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 whoa. Swarm, swarm. Calm down, calm down. Get get your hands off of the Twitter right now, okay? Did, did Did our words sting you? Uh, perhaps Dan and I can can comb through a few more insults about you. Uh, that's what takes you to get you to buzz off. Never. Will not leave until I witness your destruction. And I want the best show for all Spider Talk listeners, even the beans that'll crush you too in the process. To me, my bees. Mark, I don't know if goading Swarm is really in our best interest. It only seems to embolden him, or at least make him more erratic. Yeah, but it feels so good, right? <laughs> yeah, it it kind of does. <laughs> I, I better watch out, or he might block me on Twitter. Yeah, there you go. I heard, there you go. There I, heard you go. I heard if we insult him too much, he flew off, guys. He's he's gone. He's uh, got a lot of followers on Twitter now. Actually, it's it's kind of oh, scary. Yeah, well, you know, it's his it's his his bully pulpit or his beely pulpit. <laughs> All right, now you're just stretching. Uh, so let's talk All about right. this new segment again. Again, we've kind of changed things up here. Uh, yeah, we 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 we're just introducing a lot of change in our listeners like the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, well, you know, instead of doing every single B book, which was getting exhausting, um, especially when some of the books were not necessarily lighting our worlds on fire in either a positive or negative way. Um, so we're, we're going to, we're going to each champion a book or a champion to me. We're each going to talk about a book that we feel passionate about for this cycle. And then, um, 
we're also going to talk uh, about a new book uh, that's added to the B book list uh, with a new number one issue in the last couple of weeks, which is Venom number one, um, which I think we should actually start things off with. Um, Dan, um, I think I think you might have probably liked this Venom number one more than I did. What I mean, what what kind of appealed to you about it? Well, I mean, leading into this, there were all these you know ads saying who is in the Venom suit and. You know, like, what is the new, you know, Venom going to be like? And there were a lot of rumors, you know, like, I personally thought perhaps we were getting back to Eddie Brock, but I didn't know what was going to make this book new. Like, what was going to make Venom kind of interesting again? I mean, I feel like the last series was, like, exactly what a Venom series should not be, which is, like, Venom flying through outer space. But what I like about this series is it acknowledges that that stuff happened you know, for fans of those things, but it takes Venom in a radically new direction that we've never seen before. And I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Um, I'm not so sold on Lee, this new character. I'm, I'm hoping that future issues continue to develop this character because I don't really feel like I know a lot about him yet, but the, the scenario involving him being like the unwilling host of the symbiote or not or the symbiote being an unwilling partner to him i think is a really cool way to flip the scenario on its head what what about you mark yeah no it's 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 definitely a, a unique spin on it i mean you know I, I i but i agree with you in the fact that um this book is going to live or die on on this main character here and and you know through through the first issue, at least, it was kind of like, I don't know if I was disappointed that um, the person in the symbiote wasn't someone that we had some familiarity with. I mean, like, in a lot of ways, I got to give Marvel some credit in trying to do something new instead of just going back to Eddie Brock or or doing something else with Flash or, you know, I don't know, finding some other, you know, Matt Gagan again. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's it's... Gargan is in the book, though, which should be interesting. Yes, Gargan is in the book, um, but um, but yeah, it wasn't him, or or you know, who is who is the the mob kid who got the suit in the the Mark Millar? Uh, oh, uh, I forget his name. Like, yeah, some Italian thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, like it's interesting that the symbiote is kind of a, a reluctant partner to this to Lee, but I, I also. I mean, he's just kind of like dark flash in terms of it being kind of like, you know, he's a military guy, but, you know, he's kind of like the dark side of of the person who's come home from from the wars abroad. And, and you know, that'll actually that that could lead to some interesting um, narrative things. Um, but hopefully it doesn't kind of become cliched either, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think it was an interesting first issue. I, I'm 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 curious where it's going to go. If it's going to stay on this guy as the host or change hosts frequently, um, but you know, I think Marvel could have sold a ton of books if they put it on Eddie Brock again or something like that. And that they decided not to, and like you said, create someone new. I think shows a lot of confidence in in the idea. That's being presented here, and and I'm interested to see if that confidence was well placed. Yeah. 
Um, all right. Well, moving along, because we still want to keep these reviews short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, we're going to do the book that I I wanted to speak about this week, uh, which is actually Champions number two. Um, we had, Champions number one was part of our original lineup of micro reviews when it came out. And I, I think I was a little more into it than you are. Um, but I think... You know, just in kind of having discussions with you about this show, it seems like you're definitely um, kind of buying into what what we're getting here in Champions right now. I mean, this is I don't know. There's there's such a there's a real freshness to this um, lineup of characters, like all these like younger, um, you know, kind of like second generation heroes, for lack of a better word. I mean, you know, it's like it's 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 Miles, it's it's Kamala Khan, it's 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 um oh uh which which is the Hulk. Um Amadeus Cho. Yes, thank you. Um but uh, yeah, like like I, I I mean this was basically like characters around a campfire sharing stories, but there was like so, such a earnestness and sincerity to it. And um yeah, I, 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 I just, I, I kind of like, I'm reading this and I'm saying to myself, this is the Mark Wade that like, I really loved when he was writing Daredevil and even going back further and when he wrote The Flash for DC and stuff like, he just like really got into these characters and made you want to spend time with these characters and his work, I, I, I don't know about you, I really disliked all new all different avengers last year i i thought that book was a mess like there was very little that kept me into that right i mean yeah i agree or, um I, it, it just definitely felt very forced um it was like okay you know post secret wars we got to get all these characters together and like i think doing a book like this where it's kind of like the young the youngsters rebelling against the the cranky old heroes uh, and their and their rigid ways. I mean, I I feel like that this is the book that we should have been doing with these characters as a team from the get go. And and now we're getting it. And I think Wade's writing as a result is being very um, honest and expressive. And Alberto Ramos, I think this is the best his art has worked has looked um, in years. I mean, I I felt he was just getting played out with um, Spider Man. I didn't read. Um, I haven't been reading his X Men. I don't uh, think it's a still... good fit for him. I okay, read it. I mean, it's fine, but it's he, he. I think his stuff works better with these younger characters. Exactly. I think that. I mean, like, there's a you know because of how overly stylized he is and kind of cartoony. I think that having these young characters uh, with Ramos is a good match. So, uh, well, I mean, what about you? I mean, are you are you feeling it with this? I, book? I loved it. I mean, I, I still don't know that I understand quite the the idea of like rebelling against the older characters like i don't know that i understand the ethos of that yet but it doesn't matter because this book to me it's like what every team up book should be which is like characters getting together and being like look at these cool powers i have i mean that's the first thing anybody would do is like tell me about your powers and how they work and how awesome they are and That's this was so fun. Even if I know all their powers, just seeing the joy of them sharing it and the kind of like inner party bickering. I loved Amadeus Cho like blasting off into outer space, only to return like by the end of the comic. I thought that was hysterical. There's just a real like heart and warmth to this story. 
that I mean, it's infectious. You, you can't not love it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like infectious. I mean, I said earnest earnestness. I mean, I think that's the vibe. It's again, it's it's I want to be with these characters when I'm reading this book right now. Um, and, you know, there's been a number of team books put out by Marvel over the last couple of years where you don't necessarily want to be with those characters. I mean, as as smart and, and world heavy as Hickman's Avengers were, I mean, how many of those characters did you actually want to spend time with? <laughs> yeah, that's like, reading his Avengers, as interesting as it was, often felt like breaking out like an Excel spreadsheet. Like, yeah, ex- just to exactly. figure out what's going on. Yeah. Which is just so weird because, you know, I mean, Hickman Hickman is kind of his own breed of writer, but like his Fantastic Four, I liked I liked being around those characters, even yeah. even like you know even Reed and stuff, you know, like, um, but but yeah, uh, the, just just like every single character here, even like I said, even knowing their powers and stuff, like it's just it's just fun. This is this is fun comic book stuff, um, you know, like thank thank goodness. <laughs> I, I am I am anxious about the Gwenpool edition that's coming up that was just yeah. solicited. Like, ah, uh, is it already time to include a, a, a pool character? I'm not I'm not <laughs> necessarily sure, but yeah, we'll see what that actually ends up being. Though, you know, yeah, that could be a that could be a one issue gimmick that they're making that seem like it's bigger than that. So. And I like that character. I just don't know how she's going to fit in with this group. But yeah. she's kind of like a squirrel girl or a Howard the Duck where it's like they kind of exist in continuity but not really. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now what's your what's your pick of the week then? Well, I'm on the opposite end of this and that's Avengers number one, the other Mark Wade book. And like you said, all new, all different Avengers didn't work for me. But damn, this work book really worked for me. Uh, and I think – I mean, the writing is great, but I think it was like Del Mundo's art that really like hooked me on this book. Um, I don't know that this really presents like a like a the opposite side of the coin to Champions. Like both books seem very like fun, uh, like group dynamic stuff. Like I feel like whatever. Again, I don't really understand the divide between these two groups. If they are to come to blows or whatever, they both seem to be kind of fun books. Um, and I don't think that this book is going to be for people that hate Peter Parker, the international, uh, like Tony Stark stand in because he has never been more Tony Stark in his life than in this book where he, he unveils like that the Avengers are going to be operating out of the Baxter building and he's got his own Quinjet that he built for them. I mean, it is pure Tony Stark. And yet there is that Peter Parker goofiness that shines through. Um, I thought this book was, you know, as, as Kirby as they come, it was weird and fun and the characters were funny. It's a weird group like Wasp and Hercules are on the team. Um, but, like, everything with Kang was really neat. And the stinger at the end is super intriguing. I can't wait to see where Mark Wade is going with the story. But, man, that artwork, it's, the, it's like, my favorite thing I've read. Mark, did you read any of Weird World? No, I did not. I highly recommend it. I mean, even if just for uh, – I know nobody read it. But, uh, you know, Del Mundo's art and that is fantastic. And I'm glad they gave him this title. Um what did you think about Avengers, Mark? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, again, it was kind of like in reading it and, and I, I, I also agree with the fact that like, I still don't quite see where the, the divide is going to be between these guys and champions. I mean, you know, it's, it's really all just lip service right now, but at the same token, I liked in the, in, in a different way, I liked being around all these characters and, and it just seemed like, I mean, was, was Mark Wade like checked out last year writing all new, all different? Cause like, it's like, this is, you know, he, he was, you know, one of the all-stars at Marvel, like kind of one of the last ones when they did their switch over post secret wars. And, you know, they lost a lot of very high profile writers to do image books and stuff. And, and, you know, like, I don't know, like Mark, it was just a struggle reading anything that Wade wrote last year. Um, and this is just like a breath of fresh air. It feels like, you know, like these are characters that, um, even when, when they're flawed, you want to read about them. You're, you're intrigued by them. There's a familiarity to them. Um, this is probably the best, um, Spider-Man on a team book we've had in a really long time. Um, yeah. I mean, even if you don't, I mean, I want to say even if you don't like the international Peter Parker, like I felt like this was a really great Spider-Man inclusion. I mean, uh, artistically especially, there's a great moment where there's an explosion in the city and it like is kind of cast behind Peter Parker's head and it looks like it's like an explosion that represents his spider sense. I thought, oh, what a great artistic moment. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like, I mean, it's 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 good that... He's there, like you said, regardless of what you think about how he's currently cast in Marvel, period. I mean, in, in terms of his role. But it's like it's 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 great to see him get cast in a team book where, like, he feels integral in his own way. He's bringing something to the table, you know, like like that has been, you know, even in in I mean, that was you know, not to not to keep beating up on Jonathan Hickman today for no random reason <laughs> some random reason but like you know I, I i go back to like him and in, in in the future foundation and like to me that was such a missed opportunity because it was like you know basically all throughout that book it was like well we got spider-man on this book but he's really just there to be like the johnny storm character with like the quips here and there you know what i mean but like there was no there was no substance to his role and 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 even even Getting towards the end when Bendis on Avengers, I felt like there was just no substance to Spider-Man's role. And and now he feels important, you know, like there's he, he, not more important than the other characters, but like he's in this book for a reason and he needs to be there. And, and I can respect that. Great. Totally agreed. Go pick it up if you haven't already. I think it's like the best Avengers book in years. Um so I hope right, it keeps dude. up. All right, let's take us take us home, Dan. Yeah, of course you can find all of our new amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and most recently on YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. And that goes with any opinions you have on any of these comics we talked about today, especially the lost years. You can email them to us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com or call us at 9redgoblin or tweet at us with OK to print and we'll address and read them on the air. 
Yeah, and also be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages and subscribe. Please subscribe to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, uh, that keeps up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. Um, Dan, what else should this outro have in it right now? Well, we had a big intro, so I I will remind you to go check out Mark's book pre-orders on our site. And also the Donald Trump, The Inner Demon, or I guess Donald, The Inner Demon, uh, one of Mr. Negative's goons T-shirt that we're selling to help support the Southern Poverty Law Center um, that was going to be up for running for about a month. And, of course, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club to help support the shows and win more great prizes like today's giveaway of the death of Gene DeWolf, signed by none other than Peter David. Uh, Mark, next week we're going to be talking about the next entry in the clone conspiracy. That's number three, which promises, of course, more clone and carrion goodness. So uh, we hope all you listeners out there will join Mark and I for that conversation. Yeah, Dan, maybe you'll even get a review of that book from me on the website. God, what do you think about that? God willing, we will. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mark, uh, if that does happen, which I'm crossing my fingers about, where can people find it online or I guess find you online? Well, yeah, of course. You can find me at superiorspidertalk.com where I will uh, be reviewing some new books but also uh, writing about books of old. Um, I am currently embroiled in the Lost Gems. We had our first entry of that on Friday, uh, this past Friday, of Amazing Spider-Man number 10, the first appearance of the Enforcers. Uh, For those who weren't with us last year, Lost Gems is a series I do every year looking at um, the under underappreciated, underread classic stories. Um, You know, so things that probably would not appear on anybody's top 50 top 20 whatever top blah blah list of spider-man stories or marvel stories um but uh we're going to be doing uh over the month of december we're going to be picking one lost gem per decade so that gives you let's do math here people 60s 70s 80s 90s aughts and 10s that's six entries over the span of december uh so probably sometime after you listen to this episode uh we'll be hitting our 70s uh thing uh, and then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Chasing ASM Blog. Um, you can find my pinned tweet, which also has information about pre-ordering my book, um, 100 Things Every Spider-Man Fan Should Know or Do Before They Die. Dan, where can we find you? He writes a book, and he keeps on writing. I, I, <laughs> I tip my hat to you. Yeah, there of course, you, you can find me on Twitter at, at SUP. Spider Talk and all of my Spider-Man writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. I'm kind of having taking a little bit of a break as I settle into my new job, but uh, expect me to be popping back up then, uh, there again in, in frequency. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on there. Uh, Mark, you know, we learned a couple episodes ago that you have a Los Angeles clone version of yourself that worked in the back of a pizza shop, specifically Papa Jonah's pizza shop for years before supplanting your life in New York City. Um, I imagine that's probably still an ongoing point of crisis for you. Uh, But during all that time, did you ever get the sense that someone was watching over you, the idea that there was another you out there living a very different life than your own? Um, Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Um, You know, there there was one night – when I was working working the pizzas at Papa Jonah's, um, you know that 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 oven, 
it gets very, very hot, um, as you might know. And, um, you know, as, um, as I was actually starting to close up, um, and you know, when you, when you, when you close up a pizza joint like that, you gotta kind of like put the coals out for that cool oven. Um, and again, just, just want to reemphasize those coals are hot. Um, so, um, actually my, um, my, um, my uncle Ben was, uh, hanging out with me and, um, you have an uncle Ben too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, clones. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like the multiverse, right? No, it's not like the multiverse, but whatever. Uncle Ben's there. Just go with this, Dan. And, and he was just like, Mark, clone Mark. Do you hear that? I'm like, what? What? What's going on? And, um, you know, I'm like looking around. I like, you know, it's like, and all of a sudden this deformed looking version of me kind of jumps out of the shadows. And, you know, uh, Uncle Ben, God bless him, he takes a pizza tray and tries to whack him over the head with it to knock him out. Um, ends up tripping on some uh, mozzarella cheese that was on the floor. And he went headfirst into the coal oven, which I had not cooled off yet. Uh, Yikes. And, and let's just say. You've got to watch out uh, for that mozzarella. You know, you ever, you ever see, you ever like leave cheese on the top of a pizza like in the oven for too long it gets like all really ugly and brown looking overcooked and burnt yeah with great podcast uncle ben said as he bubbled away (laughs) must also come amazing spider talk hold the pepperoni 